Check this out. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you're going to shut it for you real quick. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. Hey, don't roll it. Hit it downhill. With power, you're running straight downhill. You know where we're coming. And we know where y'all going to be lined up at. Now you just got to stop. I'm saying I'm better than you. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Peace mode is already inside of you. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you here. Thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, yeah. So we're getting ready for a big weekend, of course, here in Las Vegas. We've got the Raiders in the Friday night finale of the preseason. Yes, it's preseason, but you know how fans are. They want to tailgate. They want to get ready. Early game 5-15 on Friday night, closing out the preseason, the fourth preseason game for the Raiders. You'll hear from Josh McDaniels today, his thoughts on the preseason finale and the Patriots and Raiders joint practices that have been taking place the last couple days. So Raiders work on some stuff today, and then they get ready for the preseason finale on Friday, and then we've got a week full of practices and cuts as the Raiders will try to get down to that. Well, not try. They will get down to that 53-man roster when they open the season on September the 11th. And, you know, a little bit different, you know, when this year when you're looking at the time that you have between your preseason finales to the regular season opener. I mean, back in the day, it was maybe five, six days, seven days, and that was it. And, you know, Raiders are going to have themselves nearly two weeks to get ready for their opener on September 11th when they take on the Chargers. So, yeah, we'll talk some Raiders football today. You'll hear from Josh McDaniels out at the Raiders uh, facilities, the headquarters there in Henderson. And like I said yesterday, the two days of joint practices with the Patriots, a very, very good thing for the Raiders. Good thing in general when you're talking about these joint practices. And, you know, if you anyone's watching Hard Knocks, one of my favorites, and most football fans do watch it, especially if you have HBO, but now you can... You know, pretty much, even if you don't subscribe to HBO, you can find it and you can get it, like Numchuck. But I'm, I'm talking about getting it legally, not like you, Numchuck. I get everything legally. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I heard you. You put an IL in front of there. Legally. E- uh, illegally. Illegally. I e- get everything e- illegally. <laughs> Some of the stuff that you have sent me, I go, where did you get that from? Oh, I don't want to know where you got that from. Yeah, that's crazy. So. Yeah, the joint practices are a big thing. We saw hard knocks last week where the Lions were going against the Colts in Indianapolis, and every coach raves about, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to try our stuff out against another team. But where the downside is, and I touched upon this yesterday, is that a lot of times these things can get out of hand. You know, you, you got the fisticuffs, you got guys that want to try to make a name for themselves, you, you know, things want to you know, break out in, in in bad fashion. And we saw this with the Raiders last year when they played the Rams in the joint practices. And they had to shut some stuff down. 
And Belichick and Josh McDaniels had said that, you know, if any of those shenanigans are going to take place during our practice, then we're going to shut it down. But you knew that this was going to be friendly because you've got Josh McDaniels coming from the Patriots, Bill Belichick, uh, still very, very close. And they both want their teams to get work. You want to do it against someone else, not your own team in camp. And when you know each other, you're going to make sure that no one gets hurt. Guys are not going to go down to the ground. You're going to protect not only your quarterbacks, but you're going to protect all your players. And you don't want all this nonsense. But, you know, going back to hard knocks, I mean, you saw immediately Jamal Williams losing it, going ballistic. And here's a guy, Jamal Williams, came out of BYU, went with the Packers, had some ups and downs in college and with the Packers. When I say ups and downs, I don't mean just, you know, from a playing standpoint, but just, you know, kind of character standpoint. And we saw the big emotional speech. I think we played it, you know, last a couple weeks ago. You know, where he's tired of losing because he left the Packers, you know, signed a, a free agent deal with the Lions, making more money, but now he's on the Lions and he's embarrassed the way that team played last year. So now he's fighting for his roster spot with DeAndre Swift being a second year from Georgia. And Jamal Williams kind of lost his mind during these sessions with the Colts, you know, during their, you know, practice sessions here. And he's just like some of his teammates had to hold him back, say, man, come on. And again, you're a veteran. You don't want to be doing that. So you knew that that probably wasn't going to happen with the Raiders and the Patriots. And in the two days, it didn't happen. Everything was under control. So really, it was a fantastic situation for the Raiders and for the Patriots as well, too. But the Raiders, they were here. They're on their home turf. Uh, you got new head coach Josh McDaniel. You got Bill Belichick on the other side. So Belichick's not going to go to any cheap shots here. And again, with the Patriots being the guests here, you knew they're going to you know be on their best behavior as well too. So when you get those type of situations, I say okay, the joint practices are cool. Now you've seen these guys for two days, get a day off. Now you play in a preseason game. Starters may get a little bit of work, you know, especially maybe from the Patriots because they've only had three preseason games. So. You, you'll be a little bit of a dress rehearsal. Second halves will always be backups. Fourth quarter is really going to be guys that are really fighting for a special team's roster spot. It's going to be thin like that. But, you know, what, it brings up the question, what's more valuable, these joint practices or the preseason? We heard Derek Carr answer that yesterday. We'll hear from Josh McDaniels here in a second. But, you know, talking about other teams. Uh, Aaron Donald, uh, he lost his mind during their joint practice with the Bengals uh, on Thursday where he ripped off a Cincinnati Bengals player's helmet and then appearing to attack his opponents with it. So what's Aaron Donald doing here? Violently swinging a helmet at Bengals players during the joint practice brawl. So we had that. We had Christian McCaffrey two, two, two weeks ago, right? That nonsense. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And this is what I don't understand. You guys are all professionals. And like I said yesterday, I could get maybe if you're a young player that you're trying to prove yourself, make a name for yourself, and you think that you're going to have to stand up to somebody. It's just stupid. It's just immaturity. You see it during the regular season. 
see it a little bit during preseason games. But the big difference is you're going to get flagged during a regular season game, and you could get ejected out of that. But when you have veterans, you're supposed to lead by example. And then when you see this video with Aaron Donald of the Rams just losing his mind, a veteran, and why? Okay, maybe a guy from the Bengals is going to try to take a cheap shot. I mean, this is a Super Bowl rematch, right? Super Bowl rematch. So are you holding over those hostilities? Hey, Cincinnati, you made it to the Super Bowl, okay? Why do you got to waste all this fire and this ridiculousness during a scrimmage? So offensive linemen may be talking trash to Donald or, or who knows what. We don't know who's at, at stake here. But, but who looks bad here? Aaron Donald, the veteran. People are going to say just what I'm saying. Well, you should know a little bit better. And when you see still pictures of him holding a Bengals helmet in his hand and running around the field with it and, or swinging it at a Bengals player, just a, just a bad look. And it's going to be stuff like that that just cuts off these joint practices all together down the road. So now to see it like for Christian and Aaron, does the NFL do anything about that? No. Or is it all team? That's all, it's all in team. All in team, yeah. So like yeah. him swinging and hitting other players? Well, the NFL would probably get involved at if, that point. If, if there was a brutal injury that took place. Like say if you're basically taking a helmet and you're beating a guy over the head with it that doesn't have his helmet on, yeah. that now turns into assault. Yeah. Okay. Not only is the NFL dealing with it, but you know, you're going to have local law enforcement and have criminal charges against that as well too. But for the most part, the NFL is going to stay away from fines and that sort of thing because they're saying, well, it's training camp, and yes, they have jurisdiction, they got authority over everything that happens, but. Exhibition game, they step in. Obviously, regular yeah. season game, they step in. But for practices, yeah, you usually don't hear about that. And usually, a lot of this stuff gets squashed, you know, early on. But yeah, again, here's another story. And back in the day, you didn't have the joint practices. If you then, when they start having them, not everybody did that because a lot of coaches still felt like, hey, we want to kind of keep everything in our own house. We don't want to expose too much to another team because what if we play this team you know, in the postseason, the playoffs? Now, what's interesting about the Raiders-Patriots situation is not only they play an exhibition game, now, okay, we'll come out early and we'll have some joint practices. We'll have an exhibition game, but they're also meeting in the regular season, you know, weeks down the road. So you worry about, okay, what are we going to show these guys? Well, I can tell you right now, neither squad with Belichick or McDaniels are going to show anything in this preseason game because not only could they play, or are they going to play in the regular season, but maybe a playoff game as well, too. So, yeah, Aaron Donald. Now, will he get suspended for his behavior in this? Um, we'll see. Remember, Miles Garrett got an indefinite suspension for swinging a helmet, but that was in a regular season game, and that was swinging the helmet off of Mason Rudolph and trying to beat him down with a pulp, right? Now, that was different. Regular season game, took it off, excessive. This is training camp. I think the NFL has a lot more leniency when 
they hear of these things. So it will be interesting to see if the NFL steps in you know, regarding this. But back to the joint practices. Two days of this here. Quality work, good situation for the Raiders, friendly competition, and no one got hurt, no injuries, and no chaos. And again, this is now a viral story. We're hearing with the Rams and the Bengals, just like we did a couple weeks ago you know, with uh, the Panthers. So, yeah, these teams obviously going to be on their best behavior. So, two schools of thoughts. Preseason games versus joint practices. I don't know. You know it's just kind of the avant-garde thing where more and more coaches are thinking, eh, yeah, the joint practice is good. But, you know, a good coach will tell you, no, we need those preseason games. You know, we still need to be in the stadium. We need the referees. We need the, the regular game flow. Because you're not getting regular game flow, clock running in these practices. It's like, okay, here's our two-minute drill. Here's our goal line drill. Okay, here's special teams now. It's no different. They run it no different than a regular team practice where you go through all these things. And, you know, even though we have pads on, you're going to try to make, you know, hey, your ones against your ones, defense against offense. Well, now it's just another team. So it does heighten it. You get people people amped up, and they are tired of hitting their own teammates. But, yeah, it's – it still is a road for chaos right now. Here's Josh McDaniels talking about the two days of joint practices between the Raiders and his former team, the Patriots. I mean, yesterday was a great opportunity. Today will be another one. Um, you know, I thought it was two two teams that had the right idea about how, how to go about this and really get the most out of it. Um, I know they came in here with the right mindset of trying to improve as a football team, work on things that you know they, they want to work on and compete against somebody different, which is exactly what we tried to do all day yesterday. Um, and I think you know that showed. I mean, we had a lot of film yesterday to go through. We spent three hours you know talking about what we learned. Um, and that's really the benefit of these things. You know you can kind of control it so that you avoid the piles. And I thought both teams practiced exactly the way you'd want to practice uh, in a joint uh, endeavor. And then, you know, obviously we got a lot out of it. We learned a lot uh, from yesterday, and I would assume that we're going to learn a lot today. All right, uh, Raiders and Patriots of the joint practices. Josh McDaniels talking about that. And again, you know, you knew this was going to be very friendly, and you can even say, well, maybe it's going to be a little bit subdued. Everyone's really going to be on their best behavior because they got the talking to by each head coach here. Uh, again, so it begs the question, and he was, uh, Josh McDaniel is going to talk about this now, which is more valuable, the joint practices or the preseason games? Uh, I think both are valuable, uh, certainly, uh, but this is, again, you can't, we can't get this, you know, on our own. So, um, you know, you're blocking different people, you're covering different people, you're running routes on different people. Um, we saw different coverages, we saw different schemes on both sides of the ball. We had to, you know, block punt rushes, you know, that we we don't use. Um, so it just, there's really no way for us to simulate this other than to try to use scout team cards and do those kind of things, which it's just never the same as letting somebody else run their stuff and you have to use your rules and, and follow your rules to do it. You know, And so um, it's as much like a real game um, that we can control the finish of every play. And then, I, like I said, compliment both teams on the way they handled that because we had nobody on the ground. You know, there's nobody tackling anybody. Um, you know, and I thought we just competed hard, worked well together, uh, and hopefully both teams got better. 
All right, uh, Josh McDaniels talking about uh, the joint practices and then again looking ahead towards the preseason game coming up on Friday and what are the Raiders going to do with that? Are we going to see Derek Carr? Are we going to see Devontae Adams? Uh, The Patriots saw some of those in the joint practices and it kind of makes you think that you probably won't. In this final preseason game, if Carr and Adams and Renfro, you know, Waller, those guys aren't haven't played up at this point in time, you're probably not going to risk it uh, right now. Isn't Waller coming back, like, have, like, a hamstring or something? Like, something light that's nothing. Yeah, and Waller has not really partaked much in any of, well, none of the preseason games, but even the practices he's been he held out of. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to be very, very careful with him. But the funny thing is, the Raiders really aren't talking about what that injury is or why we haven't seen him. And, you know, with a lot of people that are going to the practices every day in the media, there's haven't gotten given an explanation like, okay, so what's what's up with Waller? And again, we've now become to this sense that it's okay. It's like, okay, coaches are going to hold out these star players, but here you go. When you come to the regular season openers on September the 11th for most of these teams, how much rust factor are you going to see? I can guarantee you are going to see it. And we're seeing more and more and more of this every year, how everybody starts out slow uh, if you have no reps whatsoever in the preseason. But now, again, this is spread like wildfire throughout the NFL where you're not getting anybody that is, uh, as far as starting quarterbacks or star running backs or wide receivers, especially the skill positions, that are playing. Patrick Mahomes, one of those few. That's because Andy Reid. He's old school. He says, oh, I want my guys to play. I can guarantee you, you watch. Patrick Mahomes, opening day, regular season, he's going to come out firing all cylinders. Chiefs are going to be ready to play. And from a handicapping perspective, you should take that into consideration. Rodgers. Start out very slow his first game the last two seasons. All right? Back to Darren Waller. He could miss some time during the regular season because he's missed pretty much all of training camp. Practiced briefly last week. And, again, no no sight of him anywhere on the field in these joint practices against the Patriots. So, again, here's another guy that is missing valuable practice time in a new system. And Josh McDaniel still really hasn't seen much of Darren Waller on the field except a little bit of the OTAs. So that's that's challenging. More from Josh McDaniels talking specifically about this. Also, some interesting thoughts about what he views, how he views the Patriots now since he's left. You know, they got a lot of they got a lot of really good coaches. And um, I was in a position once where, you know, I was on the defensive side of the ball for a couple of years. And then I moved over and coached quarterbacks for one year. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the next thing I'm doing is being ready to, you know, call the offense after being on the offensive side for one year. And I remember nobody believing that that was really the case, you know. And, look, I think at the end of the day, Bill has a plan for whatever he wants to do. And, you know, that plan sometimes – um, he has foresight that some some of the rest of us don't have. I didn't have it when he pushed me ahead and, and, and helped help me do that. So, um, 
you know, I got a lot of friends over there. I got a lot of people over there that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, coaching's coaching. You know, um, you learn something new every day. I don't know every. I don't have every answer on offense. I don't have every answer on defense or in the special teams area. Um, that's why you have a staff, and so you work together and try to produce the best result you can. And um, from what I saw yesterday, I mean, that was as competitive as a, a practice as we could have asked for, in every phase. You know, we we lost plays in every phase. You know, we were competitive in other plays. Uh, we, we we you know that's just what you're going to see. And so. Um, I just, you know, I, I think that those guys are going through their process. Look, you know, I'm here. I'm, we're going through our process. Like, we don't have it all that figured out, you know, right now in terms of going through a change. We have a new staff. So, again, every team d goes through this. It's not unique to us or them. Um, we'll all figure it out somehow. All right, there is uh, Josh McDaniels. And then, you know, they've got to go through the process now of – Cutting down that roster. I mean, they're at 80 players right now. So now you have to have massive cuts to get down to the 53-man roster. You've got to cut 27 players. Now, some of those, you hate to say this, but it's true. Some of those are very, very easy cuts. But there's going to be about 10 very difficult decisions. And this will be not his first go-round as a head coach because he has been a head coach before. But now he's got to go through this process of really still not knowing this team, still learning this team, and who fits in to his system. Uh, here's McDaniels talking about the process of going through the cuts and the roster cutdown. Um, you know, we go through it every day. Uh, Dave obviously is on top of everything like that. Um, but we, he and I talk every morning, every middle of the day, after practice, after we've seen the film, and then at night before we leave. So it's just, you know, there's, uh, there's an element of constant communication and effort um, put in because there's a lot you learn each day. You know, it's things change pretty quickly. You know, plus you have injuries and things like that to consider. So um, there's a lot to go into it. Um, again, I have great faith and trust in him because he he knows exactly what we need to do when we need to do it, and uh, he usually sets the table pretty well. And then we try to get all the the best information we can from the coaches, the scouts, uh, the people that are watching practice every day and see the players in every single drill. Um, to try to make the best decisions we can. And uh, it's a tough time of the year, you know, for everybody. We know that. We've been working with them for a long time. Uh, a lot of these guys, um, you know, you'd love to keep 80 guys on the team. You know, that's what you'd love to do. So um, we'll see how it all plays out. But, you know, definitely it's a collaborative approach every day. All right, there it is. Josh McDaniels uh, talking about the the Raiders, the cutdowns, uh, looking across the field. His former team for so many years still has so many bonds with not only the, the former players, but the coaches, especially uh, the coaches, and of course Robert Kraft there. And I know that Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and those guys are, are wishing Josh McDaniels well. We will see. Right? We will see. We've had off-season workouts, had a full training camp that is getting ready to conclude now. What will this Raiders team look like? come September the 11th when they take on the Chargers. And what's going to be the health of this team? All right, Darren Waller is a big question mark right now because he has not participated in training camp and got a little bit of a hamstring issue. And we get a chance to see Darren Waller quite a bit at the Aces games. He's been, been there. Uh, but they've probably seen him more at the Aces games than his teammates have seen him on the field. So wait, you've seen him a lot. Is he limping? No, that's nope. why I never noticed that. I never, you know, again, if you got a hammy, you are going to walk okay. Okay, especially when you're 
a top-tier athlete. Yeah. I mean, you know, a regular civilian, I'll just say that. You know, you're probably going to limp a little bit. But when you're an athlete, you're not going to limp that much because you're getting treatment and everything every day. So they're gonna, you're going to be refrained from practicing because you got to go 100%. Yeah. Okay? And you don't even want to get back on there if you're 50, 60, or even 70%. They want you on the field and go full bore if you're close to 100%. So that's probably not fair to say, well, you know, he, he's walking around good when we see him at the Mandalay Bay. You know, you just don't know. But the thing about it is there's no injury report during the course of the preseason. So you don't know who's really healthy or not. And the Raiders really haven't said anything about Darren Waller. So, of course, there's a lot of speculation there as well, too. All right, back to the Patriots. So going through the sessions with the Raiders, you have the preseason game tomorrow. Uh, Bill Belichick came out and talked yesterday about the Patriots not having an offensive coordinator. Now, no, Raider fans could care less about this, but think about this. There are former offensive coordinator for all these years. Is the Raiders' new head coach, Josh McDaniels. They didn't replace Josh McDaniels, which is very, very strange. So right now, they do not have a quote-unquote offensive coordinator. Now, Bill Belichick isn't going to be calling the plays because he's a defensive coach. Right? He's a defensive guru. So he'll call plays on defense, but not offense. And again, he's famously is, you know, had guys like Josh McDaniels and, and, and other guys to do that for him who have gone on to do head coaching jobs and, frankly, really hasn't worked out for any of his assistants there, as we know. But Belichick says that the play calling for this season for the Patriots will be a collaborative process. That's the term he used. A collaborative process. I can never recall anyone saying that. And in this modern day and age of where you have so many assistant coaches... I mean, you've got not only just your offensive and defensive coordinators, special teams uh, coach, uh, you, but I mean, it goes all the way down to quality control and, and all this other stuff. I mean, you've got excessive amounts of coaches on every staff. Every staff is about 20 coaches, and they do not have a quote-unquote offensive coordinator who's going to be in charge of calling the plays. The pro- it'll be a collaborative process. That's interesting. That's unusual and definitely unique. So, hey, uh, <laughs> can you imagine if the Raiders, you know, had that situation? Well, let's see. Uh, we're not going to really deem anybody our quote-unquote offensive coordinator. It'll be a collaborative process, uh, you know. Or someone's calling the place. It's not going to be like okay, we get you know have co-offensive coordinators. We've seen that done, but that's. That's not going to happen. Usually doesn't work that way. When they say co, it's usually one guy who's communicating with the quarterback. Communicating with the offense. Um, yeah, that's what the Patriots got right now. They do not have an offensive corner and will be a collaborative process for the play calling. Interesting. All right, we come back. We talk some more pro football. We're going to get some thoughts from Trevor Maddich. Uh, regarding some Raiders stuff. You're going to want to hear that. And college football season is upon us. Scott Spritzer is going to join us next hour. Talk about it from a handicapping aspect. Asia Wilson, you're going to be hearing from her. The hopefully MVP again. Always great talking with Asia Wilson as we get ready for the Las Vegas Aces 
playoff run here. One round already down where they swept the Phoenix Mercury. And now we're on to the WNBA semifinals. The top four seeds are in the semifinals. One against four. Aces take it on the Seattle Storm, the four seed. Connecticut and Chicago, as both those teams won the last two nights in decisive game threes. So that'll be happening on the other side. So yeah, exciting time. You've got the Aces, game number one, coming your way Sunday afternoon at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Get out there, enjoy it, get your tickets while they last. It will be a sellout for all of these games at access.com. That's where you get your tickets at AXS.com. So we got you'll hear from Asia a little bit later on. But coming up next, our good friend Trevor Maddox as we talk the beginning of college football. It starts this weekend. We talk to Big Trev next. around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Well, this is the first Saturday of college football. And we will talk college football from now until what? The middle of January, pretty much. You gotta love that. And you know who's really jonesing for that? Our college football guru, of course you see him on ESPN, breaking it down each and every week, and now he is ready to rock and roll. The one and only Trevor Maddich. What is happening, my man? Mr. TC, we are finally here. For college football, this was the most momentous offseason I've ever seen, and I can't wait to get on the field and see what's going to happen on the field. This is true, my friend. It is back. And so, you know, I try to give you a break, you know, during during the off season. And of course you're nice enough to, to join us occasionally during the off season. And, you know, here's my question for you, Trevor. It's like, okay, you go through your ritual of training camp. And normally, like I said, in years past, you've visited the college campuses, you you know, spend your own money, your own dime, and you're you know, you're talking to Nick Saban and you know, these coaches and these campuses and everything. But I know you've been doing a lot of stuff by Zoom and everything. I'm just wondering now, because I my my eyes might have deceived me, but I just kind of saw this Grizzly Adams look of Trevor Maddich. And I'm just wondering, you you kind of look like Joe Mantegna. You know, I didn't know if that was him or if now you get clean shaven for opening day and you go back to the Trevor Maddich that we see on television. What's going on there, Trev? Well, my wife likes the beard. And I told her she's the owner-operator of the beard. As long as she likes it, we'll all have it the way she wants it. Uh, And I think she likes it because it covers half my face. So I think that's addition by subtraction. So that's a good thing. But, you know, this is is guaranteed for week zero. So I was on SportsCenter today and uh, did, uh, did did the thing for week zero with the beard. And now I need to decide if I want to keep it for the season and shave it off. But if I do shave it off, uh, it's going to be like no tan where the beard used to be, tan where the beard wasn't up on top, and I will look like a two-toned freak. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of decisions to be made the next couple of days, TC. Wow. As we hear the theme from Criminal Minds, has anyone besides myself confused with Joe Mantegna? Yeah, well, all the time. Matter of fact, people walk up to me and say, Mr. Mantegna, can I have your autograph? (laughs) And, and I'm tempted to, like, just chew him out and say mean things and just be completely horrible so that, you know, Joe will get all kinds of bad Twitter. But I thought, nah, I can't do that to the guy. 
Uh, Plus, you know, I'm, I'm fabulously more handsome than Joe. Th- that's so, true. you know, I, I think that's a compliment to him, really. So have you ever been c- compared to a celebrity before, uh, an actor, an artist, anybody, or just uh, anyone, uh, Trevor? Who Who is the Trevor Maddich celebrity lookalike? Well, I don't see this when I was younger. People thought I looked like Tom Cruise, but I disagree. <laughs> I think I'm also... When I was younger, fabulously more handsome than Tom Cruise. Uh, and so, you know, so there's that. Uh, and by the way, self-delusion works for me. So if you're thinking that I'm serious about that, uh, not quite so much. Although, when I was uh, playing with Washington, we had three guys on the offensive line that I kept getting mistaken for. And we all got mistaken for each other during training camp. So people would come up, kids would come up and ask for the autograph, you know, and uh, and so... Finally, you know, so they come up and say, you know, Mr. Lachey, Jim Lachey, Mr. Lachey, can I have your autograph, you know? Uh, Mr. Giesa, can I have your autograph? And so I'm like, nah. And so again, I thought the same kind of thing, you know, should I be mean? Nah, I'll just tell them the truth. Uh, but then I got a hat, uh, an actual hat one year that said, I am not John Giesick, Jim Lachey, or Mark Slareth. And I'm like, <laughs> that turned out to be, you know, the hit of camp. Really, that hat was a bigger star than I ever was in the NFL. So that worked out pretty well. That is funny. You know, we just had this uh, conversation uh, with uh, your fellow Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. And on a couple of occasions when he's come to Vegas and done the show, we've had this exact same thing happen, and I got a chance to witness it. And this guy, one guy comes up and says, Hey, uh, can, can I have your autograph, please? And he goes, Oh, yeah, sure. No no problem. And the guy says, well, you signed it, Bill Cartwright. I thought you were Patrick Ewing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then another wow. guy, and we're walking through one casino. He goes, hey, Mr. Olajuwon, it's my pleasure to meet you. No. <laughs> yes, yes. No. But here's the misconception, as you know. All right? If you're black and you're a seven-footer, then you're going to be confused with those guys, I guess. I don't understand it. Listen, I stood next to Akeem Olajuwon uh, in an elevator. The Houston Rockets were playing the Boston Celtics when I was playing for the Patriots. And I went to the game and got on the elevator, and they happened to be going up or down, wherever it was. We were on the same elevator. So you had you know Akeem Olajuwon and all those big tall guys. The Admiral was on there. And I, I was, I'm used to being the bigger guy in any room, right? Yeah. I'm looking up at these guys, and for the first time in my life, I realized how other people looked up at guys my height, and I'm only 6'5". Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, you know, I guess he's not... I guess Bill will, will, is never confused for Kevin Hart, then, is what you're saying. <laughs> this is true. Exactly. Yeah. Or Kevin Johnson, for that matter. There you go. Either one. <laughs> Alright, Trevor, man. So, since we're talking a little NFL, uh, I want to get your take about Alex Leatherwood, because with the Raiders reached, in my opinion, I think you and I may have talked about this in the past, last year, uh, selecting what, is 17th overall, first round pick, and I want your take when you saw Leatherwood in Alabama, he, I'll just say it, you know, I think has turned out to be a bust, and now the new regime here with Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler coming over from New New England as the general manager and the head coach, you know, they have no allegiances to Mike Mayock's picks and, you know, John Gruden and all that stuff. And they said they are going to uh, you know, keep their fifty-three based on who is performing well this training camp. They're going to take contract obligations totally out of it here. So Trevor, as an offensive lineman, a guy who got a chance to see Leatherwood a lot 
in uh, at Alabama, and I'm sure you watched a little bit of him with the Raiders last year. What is your take about Alex Leatherwood? Well, first of all, the the administration there, the the brain trust for the Raiders are right to do it that way, if for no other reason that the players know who should be on the team and who should be starting and who should not be. And if you put somebody into that lineup that the players know really shouldn't be there, then you lose credibility, and that's the last thing the new regime needs is after what happened with the previous regime is to lose credibility. So they need to do it that way. The Alex Leatherwood really has surprised me in such a profoundly negative way. I, I, I watch him play this preseason. I thought he would get better. You know, he had a great strength program at Alabama. He has a, a full year in the strength program with the Raiders. I thought his functional strength would improve, but it hasn't. It's like he's topped out, and it's not enough. When he moves into guard, he gets walked back into the quarterback too often. And at tackle, same way. He just doesn't seem to have strength. It also is really um, disappointing the way he, he, the way his technique at right tackle in pass protection is so consistently and repeatedly flawed on things that you would think an athlete like Leatherwood, and coming out of college, the book on him included that he was just a really good athlete. You'd think he'd improve on that. When I say flawed, here's just one thing. We can talk about more. But one thing is that when he takes his pass set, if the pass rusher kind of runs into him and then stays in front of him, he looks really good. But if the pass rusher is really good and makes a move and tries to get to the corner, Leatherwood will get his feet too wide, he will stop his feet, and then he will turn his body and try to push the rusher behind the quarterback, right? Well, that is what you do as a desperation move when you didn't stone the guy like you're supposed to do out wide. You don't want your guy running around the corner and forcing the quarterback to step up, which Leatherwood does all the time. And he does it because on contact, he tends to stop his feet and his feet tend to get too wide. So it's hard for him to slide in front anyway from that position. And he has not been able to change that. And a guy as athletic as he is, I would have thought would have figured out a way to, to get, keep his feet moving on contact with his hands. Because a lot of times when, you know, you'll face really good pass rushers that'll sweep your hands off them. I mean, sometimes there are guys that are hard. To punch, they're really hard to punch just because you put your hands out there to punch them, and the next thing you know, they swat them away, or they they go underneath them, or they just take your hands out of the initial equation. And the way you need to solve that is your feet. While your hands are resetting now, your feet need to keep moving so your body stays in front of the guy. Then you get your hands reset, get them inside, and you can you can redirect. Leatherwood does none of those things, not a single one of those things. And in year two, I thought he would be able to. And so at right tackle, he so far remains a serious liability in pass protection. And we've seen the Raiders move him around from tackle to guard. And and I'm just wondering, Trevor, is this because, okay, they're trying to mask this or, you know, what are we going to do with this guy? Well, if if you can block, you can block. And if you can't, you can't, right? I mean, talk a little bit about the coaches that will move a guy from one place to another uh, thinking that he's going to improve in one position over another. Well, that happens a lot. 
if a guy has certain attributes. One of, one of the guys is Brandon Sheriff. He was drafted, I think, in the fourth or fifth pick in the draft by Washington, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Now it's been a while, out of Iowa. He was a tackle at Iowa, left tackle, I believe. Washington wanted him to play tackle, but he wasn't. And now he's at Jacksonville, I think, as a free agent with getting big bucks there. He, Pro Bowl guy, though. I mean, this is a, a perennial Pro Bowler when he's healthy at guard. Problem is that at tackle, his arms were a little short, and he wasn't quite quick enough on his feet to slide out and get in front of pass rushers that are really fast and line up wide. And so if you can't get your initial set into the right spot when they line up like that, then you're always going to be chasing the guy, and that's a recipe for failure when you're playing tackle. But they moved Sheriff inside the guard, and so he didn't have to face a wide, lanky, fast pass rusher. He had to face more often than not a 330-pound warthog that just tried to walk him back into the quarterback, and he was able to drop anchor because he was a wrestler. And so he became a Pro Bowl guard, even though he really wasn't suited to play tackle in the NFL. So let's go to Leatherwood. His problem at tackle is that he gives up that corner too easy. He's got other problems, too. But his guy comes around the corner, forces the quarterback to step up. And you can get away with that if the guards and center can drop anchor up there and create space, keep the pass rushers up near the line of scrimmage. The quarterback then has space to step up. And he can get away from those guys coming around the edge. If the guys inside get pushed back into the face of the quarterback, then he's got nowhere to step up. And then that guy coming around the edge will reach out and swat the ball out of his hand. So inside, you've got to be able to drop anchor. As a matter of fact, if you look at Tom Brady, when he has had struggles more often than not, it's not because of a good edge rusher. It's because of a guy like an Aaron Donald or another really good interior rusher that can push that pile inside so, so Brady can't step up. So Leatherwood. When you watch him at guard, he doesn't drop anchor. He gets walked back into the quarterback. So now the guy's playing tackle. They're more vulnerable when the, when the defender gets the edge because the quarterback can't step up. So now what do you do? Remember, Brandon Sheriff out of Iowa with Washington, now Jacksonville, at tackle he gave up the edge too much. They put him at guard, he dropped anchor, and he was solid. Right? Leatherwood gives up the edge at tackle and he doesn't drop anchor well enough at guard. Part of the reason for all of this is that you don't see him strike anybody. When a, a pass rusher approaches him, you know what you ideally want as an offensive lineman is to make that guy, number one, fear you because you're going to hit him with your hands hard. And then number two, when you hit him with your hands hard and you strike him, you throw off his balance a little bit. You throw off his rhythm a little bit. He has to kind of redirect a little bit. If all you do is catch the guy, then he can do anything he wants to do without being thrown off, without his balance or his angle being thrown off at all. And Leatherwood, at guard and at tackle, tends to just catch the guy. And again, in his second year in the NFL, I would have thought that a guy that athletic would have been able to to develop a, a new habit to be able to strike better. But he hasn't been able to do that either. So some guys uh, move from tackle into guard, and they really succeed. Leatherwood right now hasn't shown that he can play either position with any with any degree of autonomy where he doesn't need help from another lineman or a tight end or a running back in order to execute his assignment. 
So we'll see what the Raiders do with him, see if he actually does get cut. And that would be uh, really kind of, well, I don't know if it would be a travesty or not, but just in the sense of here you're cutting a, a first-round pick a couple of years later after you selected him very, very high with your with your first pick. Trevor Maddich joins us. Uh, Trev, you said at the beginning of this that you know you really are, are looking forward to this college football season like we all are. But like you said, it was one of the most uh, – I guess, busy, I call it productive, I'll let you fill in the blank, adjective, whatever, of this offseason as we get ready. Is that because of the transfer portal? Is that because of the way you know we've seen so many quality players switch teams here? Uh, talk to us real quick about what you're looking forward to so much here as we kick off college football this weekend. Yeah, well, part of it's the transfer portal. I mean, Nebraska is starting uh, a quarterback from Texas. Uh, USC is starting quarterback from Oklahoma. Oklahoma starting quarterback from UCF. You've got former Oklahoma quarterback starting at um, SMU and South Carolina. You've got former USC quarterbacks starting at West Virginia and Pitt, Pitt right? and Ole Miss, right? <laughs> yeah. And so all this stuff has just gone kind of nuts, which I think is kind of good because it allows the quarterbacks to kind of filter into places where they can actually play. And some guys that are super talented that would be sitting behind somebody else, now college football fans can actually see them not sit behind somebody else, but can see them play, can see them start, right? And I get it that, okay, you got to compete, and if you don't win, you got to stay there, and you got to be a good backup and then wait your time and all that stuff. I, I get that. But the flip side of that is that, you know, we get to see guys play now. And I, I, I like that part of it. So it'll be fun how that goes. But then you've got the impact of, of the way NIL has, ter- has worked out. You've got conference realignment. You've got all Supreme Court decisions that have, that have changed things over the last couple of years from the standpoint of players getting paid with NIL and then opening the door to potential direct payment of players, not by schools, I don't think, but you'll probably get direct payment by uh, TV contracts when they eventually have to collectively bargain with the players. Uh, if if the schools take possession of the money and then distribute it to the players, now you have Title Line issues. But I'm not a lawyer, but I believe that if the if the money stays uh, with the conference, TV money now, and the conference then distributes it to the football players, Title Line is not triggered. So you know all these things are still on the table. But with this momentous off-season of conference realignment and all the other stuff that has the potential to move forward and have monumental changes in college football, even possibly down the road creating a new upper tier with the Big Ten and the SEC. The off-season has been the most exciting I've ever been around, ever. It's just been, it's been amazing. Uh, and now getting onto the field, we finally get to talk about football, and there's so much going on. There's so many teams that have a chance to rise up and really make noise on a national level. And I think it's going to be exciting to see who actually makes it. So Alabama, um, you know, they they have the Heisman Trophy winner who won it as a sophomore, sophomore, Bryce Young. Uh, You got Will Anderson back on defense. You got top running backs and top wide receivers that are gone, took their talents to the NFL. Uh, But does it matter? I mean, we know how Nick Saban you know, treats this as like, okay, if you don't win a national championship, then man, everyone's got to, uh, has hell to pay during that off season. And they come back bigger and stronger than ever. It's going to help that you have those two guys on offense and defense, you know, coming back for Alabama. But I, 
what I really loved about this, Trevor, is that Nick Saban took a participation trophy and put it in the cafeteria where the football players eat to remind them, like, hey, uh, we lost the national championship game last year. That's not good enough. So here's a participation trophy. I love that move there. And what are we going to get from Alabama this year? Uh, I think Alabama is the best team in the country, and they're the team to beat uh, for the national championship. But it's funny how Nick Saban does that because it, it seems counterintuitive and it seems a bit um, contradictory, let's put it that way, that they put that participation trophy, quote-unquote, in the cafeteria because their goal in any given year is not to win the SEC championship or the national championship. They don't talk about it in those terms. You walk into their facility, and everywhere you look, You've got references to all of Alabama's national championships, right? And the players who won those national championships. Listen, they put it on the wall, on the door, on the elevator, everywhere you look. It's how many national championships Alabama has won. But for any given team this year, Nick Saban wants them to think not about winning the championship, but winning the day. And undergoing the process, which is to do the next thing that's in front of you at a championship level. So he doesn't want them thinking about a championship. He wants them to think about the next rep in the next drill. Those tributes to the championship are for recruits that they've won in the past, and it's to to honor the players that won those championships. But the current players on this team have not won anything. This team is 0-0. and They haven't won a darn thing, and that's how it works. But I think it's funny that Saban put that in there, and knowing him, he didn't put it there so that guys would refocus on the goal of not getting the second-place trophy but getting the first-place trophy. That's not it. It's that in order to get the first-place trophy, you have to focus on the process, which means do the next thing that's right in front of you at a championship level. And I think that's what he's doing. So it seems contradictory, but it's really not. All right, Trevor Manich joins us. Trev, give me a a team or a conference that you're really going to keep an eye on this year. Well, Utah is a team that has a chance to bust the playoff for all the right reasons. Utah is one of the most physical teams on both lines of scrimmage in all of college football. And they're going to have a chance to prove that. They, they open at Florida. Now, Florida is not Alabama or Georgia this year, but they're, uh, they're still Florida. And if Utah goes in there and is the more physical team on the home field of an SEC Blue Blood and win the game, That'll put them in a position to be able to possibly get up into that playoff level. Their quarterback position with Cam Rising uh, is finally squared away. People think of the Rose Bowl, uh, and Ohio State scored 48 points, threw the ball all over the place against them. But keep this in mind that Utah had epic injuries in the secondary, and they ended up having to play a running back in the secondary at one point. I, I was at that game, my friend. Run. I was there. I oh, was, that was an well, amazing what was it, game. What was it like to watch it there? Amazing. Just a, just amazing, and the way Utah jumped out on, like you said, and you saw Ohio State coming back, but then you know the the moment that he got hurt. I mean, it was uh, you just see, oh man, they, they were just hanging on for dear life, and they're playing against the clock. But you know, great game, great atmosphere, great comeback by Ohio State. Right, but think about that though. And Cam Rising, the, the quarterback for Utah, he gets hurt. Yeah, Utah still scores forty five points, and they only lose by three. Right. With epic injuries in the secondary and their starting quarterback out. Team to beat in the Pac-12. Nope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Utah's good. Yeah. 
No, they're very good. No, you're right. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, this is a team that still kind of is, you know, a little unsung to a certain degree. Hey, speaking of sung, as I, I say that, Trevor, uh, it is official. Uh, we made that commitment uh, that we are coming back with the second annual T.C. Martin Show Songfest, which is going to take place next Friday. So, Trevor Maddich, you are going to be invited to partake once again. So, between now and then, I want you to think of a song that you are going to come on, play DJ next Friday, and introduce. So, just a little FYI with you, my friend, is back by popular demand. The T.C. Martin Show Songfest. I am so on board, TC. I am so on board. And I'm going to give this some thought, too. I'm, I'm going to break down that song. I'm going to make sure it's the right darn song. And it's introduced in the right way. You you watch. Now, Nubchuck is, is thinking, I think he's he's playing this because he's, you know, trying to hint that you're going to go in this direction. Could that possibly be true? <laughs> oh, if I did that, oh, my <laughs> wife would love me even more. Oh, she would. There you oh, go. she would. I, I got to tell you that uh, I am second in her heart to Barry Gibb. But and, I, uh, I don't recall. I'm fine with it, you know, because I can, I can pin Barry Gibb if I needed to. So. <laughs> but I, I, I do not recall John Travolta wearing a beard, a Joe Mantegna beard, in, in Saturday Night Fever. Uh, no, but the only reason is because he can't grow a beard like me. You know, I, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I feel bad for him, but, you know, you, just some guys can and some guys can't. I'm sorry, John. All right. We're of course, gonna... and again, some guys own their own 747, and uh, some guys don't. So I have a beard, and he has a he has a jumbo jet. So you know, you can pick which one's more important. I, I can hardly wait to see next week if Trevor Manich is donning that beard still or not. I don't know. Do I need to talk to Miss Dana here? Do we need to interview her about this whole process? We might need to. Yeah, you know, because I because I I'm not sure. I watched back the Sports Center thing, and I looked at the beard, and I I can't decide if I like it on the air. I like it off the air a lot, okay. but you know I, I can't decide. So, um, so we'll see. But if you see it next week, it's it's on for the season. So there's there's it's going to be. I got to figure it out. You see, I've never I've never worn a beard on the air before. Oh man, I don't know, brother. You know, I don't know. Just Saturday is probably the leader in the clubhouse <laughs> for great beards at ESPN among analysts. Yeah, and his beard is tight and sweet. <laughs> really looks good. I don't want to be a distant second to that. Yeah, you, know? you got your, I don't know. Trevor's going to be shaving once every seven days now. You know that? He'll be shaving just for TV and then he's going to let it go for for seven days, for six and a half days. Yeah, no, it's, That's it's, it's, listen, I feel kind of fierce, actually. There you go. All right, brother. Yeah, you got a beard, you, you feel fierce. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, glad to have you with us, of course. Uh, good to be on board each and every week. We appreciate you big time. And uh, start thinking about uh, that Trevor Maddich DJ intro for next week. Absolutely will do. Thanks for having me on, TC. Appreciate you, brother. There he is, Trevor Maddich, the best 15-time Emmy Award winner. Great, great college football analyst, great NFL analyst, just great insight. We come back next hour, we're going to hear from the MVP, Asia Wilson, Scott Spritzer, and more on this thunderous Thursday. Sing it, Barry. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks for Steelers. And they've got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Spillane with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the 
Yeah, Thunderous Thursday hour number two, breaking it down for you. Getting ready for a little college football, the NFL, but yes, college football this weekend. All right, thanks to Trevor Madge for joining us. Breaking it down like only he can. That interview will be up on the website with everything else at tcmartinshow.com. Raiders, Patriots, the finale tomorrow night at Allegiant Stadium. They're going to kick that thing off at 515, of course. Aces and the Seattle Storm coming your way Sunday, Game 1 of the WNBA. Semifinals, your top four teams, your top four seeds, have advanced to get here. Going to be some great stuff. And again, get those tickets while they last. Access.com, AXS.com for Games 1, 2, and a Game 5 if necessary. Aces, number one seed, have the home court advantage throughout the WNBA playoffs. All right. Let's talk a little more football here and uh, bring in our guru as well, our handicapping guru, the one, the only, the, I don't know what I want to say here. I was going to try to, I was trying to come up with something old school, whether it was a food reference or if it was a, a musical reference, but I'll just let it go wherever it goes naturally. Scott Spritzer, what's happening? I was just glad it was kind. Yeah, <laughs> of course it's going to be kind. We know that. That's for darn sure. <laughs> you know, I just never know where it's going to go. I mean, an old steakhouse could come up. You know, uh, true, when, true. When, when we talk, or you know, uh, you know, another concert that you've been to that uh, you know we'll bring yeah. up. You know, TC. I just saw Social Distortion added a third show. <laughs> they sold out the first two like in minutes. Third show, ready to go. Let's go. December 17th. It's a Friday night. You don't got to work the next day. WNBA season's over. No radio. I, I think you need to go to your first Social D concert. Wow. Now, <laughs> I, I was going to bring up uh, something musical for you, a musical group, but then it would be 180 degrees from that. And I was thinking about you the other night, Scott. Now, let's just don't get it twisted. Don't, don't get, you know, not in that particular way. I was late night. And then how you are usually late night by the pool after you're done handicapping and you're sipping a cold one and you got your your music blaring. So my late nights, uh, either before my handicapping baseball or afterwards, I'll start flipping through the channels. And I came across one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, Death Proof in Grindhouse. And yes, yeah. Now, Now, how much of a Death Proof guy that you are? But they have a tremendous soundtrack in that movie. And I completely forgot about one song that was in there that made me think of you, Scott Spritzer. It's mm. it's the bar scene there where uh, Kurt Russell's in there. And uh, he's getting... Oh, a, I know what you're talking. I already know where you're going. You do, don't I? I guess? He, he was getting the lap dance, okay, from Butterfly. She goes to the <laughs> jukebox and plays... A song. Go ahead. You're going to nail it because I think we've talked about this. Down in Mexico. Yes, yes. (laughs) By, of all groups, the Coasters. The Coasters, baby. Exactly. (laughs) The greatest Coasters tune of all time. And it's funny you say that because, you know, you've told the story about the Coasters. You you getting on stage with those guys, right? Right. But and you Back think in the of, 80s, yep. right? And you talk about you know when we talk about the coasters, we always think of the late '60s, the early '70s, the Yakky Yak, don't don't talk back, and all that stuff, right? 
And yep. then this song is like one of those hidden gems that nobody would associate the coasters, right? It's dark, man. I love it. <laughs> you know, I feel like I should have a, a bottle of Mezcal in front of me or something and, uh, you know, be sitting in some CD sawdust joint. Uh, this takes me back to, like, Who Songs in Ensenada. And Who Songs in Ensenada is not like Who Songs in Las Vegas. Yes. And, but that's what this takes me back to is a joint like that, but maybe in a smaller town a little way from the tourists. I love this tune. Uh, this is their best song to me because it, it's a little bit dark. It's not comedic. And I remember it from the movie well. But uh, you know what's funny is back in the day when, the, when, when Cordell Gunter was still around and he was, you know, heading the, the coasters, played Vegas all the time. They never played this song. Never. Really? Yeah, they never played it live. At least I don't ever remember that. No, this. you're I right. I probably saw them 50 times. Yeah, so you saw, I only saw them a handful of times, but... You know, again, I think I think you're right about this. But then again, see, I never even associated them with this song. I, I didn't in, in, until Grindhouse and Death Proof. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. You know, it's just not a typical coasters tune. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love Young Blood and all that kind of stuff, but this this one takes the cake. All right, Scott. So, uh, we... and by the way, I got to tell you, I heard them Chuck in the background while you're setting this up, playing "Story of My Life" from Social D. He's pretty quick on the trigger. I like that. Oh yeah, he is. I mean, again, he's uh, never been a DJ in his life, but he's turned into a DJ on the show, <laughs> which I love. And, and speaking of which, Scott, you know, we have made the official announcement. We are coming back for the second annual TC Martin Show Song Fest next Friday, where we're going to, you know, like we did last year, and we we have listeners and our guests get to to give us their favorite songs. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some special guest DJs. I think you are going to get that invite, my friend. So I'm giving you a week's notice to prepare to pick out a song that means something special to you. And who go? it could be this song. You never know. So be prepared next Friday, <laughs> Scott, to uh, play DJ and, and introduce your favorite song on the show. I'm part of that. I, I'm part of that, no doubt about there it. There it is. He's in. He's in. All right. So, uh, and, and I, I, you know, you're kind of like me. You're probably even more diversified than me when it comes to, to genres and stuff like that. So uh, I can't wait to see which direction you're going to go with, uh, with your song. I, I got to tell you, you know, it, it all comes from where I grew up. My, my dad played organ. My, uh, my sister, one of my sisters played sax and guitar. Another sister played keys. I had an older brother who played drums, an older brother who played trumpet, and I played the sax dabbled on the guitar it was in the family and we had everything going from jitterbug music to dean martin to frank sinatra to frigid pink to the guess who you know to kiss and everything else and so you know and then all of a sudden around 1978 i heard a little clash going on and, and that changed a lot there too for the next 10 years but yeah it's just been it was a diversified upbringing and i've stayed that way ever since and i'm yeah, and just passionate like you are, man, about music, and I passed it on to my daughter too. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was pretty excited right before you called. I saw Social D adding a third show, and I thought it's probably minus four fifty. It's like a Mets line tonight <laughs> that I will not be able to get TC Martin to go to a Social D show. But you never know. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, see, that's the thing. See, Scott is now. I'm, I'm like his number two go to since his daughter went off to college, so he doesn't have a concert date anymore because I don't see your wife going with you to any of these. Concerts. Concert. So now you're going to be reaching out to me or Dave Koken, I think, huh? There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, you know, I, could, I, I wouldn't be able to get my daughter to go to Social D. When last time I saw them, I surprised uh, three people with tickets. And they had this. never seen Social D. They weren't Social D fans. 
I made sure they weren't in on the floor in GA. I made sure we were upstairs at House of Blues, mm-hmm. and so we're on that first balcony. And when the slam dancing breaks out at a social D mm-hmm. concert, it is nasty rough. And they're sitting there going, holy crap, looking down. And we're talking about three people who are R&B people going, what in the heck are these people doing? <laughs> it's crazy. So no, blast. no mosh pit for you. That's what you're telling me, huh? Not anymore. Yeah. used to be. Not anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I had to retire my torn shirts and, uh. and, and torn tennis shoes about 20 years ago. However, when we got shut down during the pandemic, you know, I was like telling my daughter, it was like, you know, first month of the shutdown and I'm going, Holy crap, who knows if we're ever going to be around people in, you know, the next four or five years unless, you know, we get some kind of vaccine or something. And I remember sitting there and saying, you know what, as soon as we're out of this, I'm going to go to a cool, cool punk concert and I am going to slam dance one more time. And you might have to visit me in a hospital and a body cast afterwards, but I'm going to do it one more time. And she just looked at me and said, please, Dad, you're in no shape. <laughs> I, want, I want to know, uh, were you ever the recipient of uh, the body surf on top of the crowd, or were you the assist man? I did both. I, I body surfed a couple of times, and I also helped people get from one end of the uh, floor to the other. So, and, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, the, the roughest, this is going to surprise a few people out there who might remember these guys, the roughest slam dancing, body surfing, stage diving concert I was ever at, and I've been to a bunch, was, believe it or not, around 1990, I think it was 1990, it was Faith No More at Calamity Jane's on Boulder Highway. Oh, wow. And when that concert was over and everybody left, there was so much broken glass and blood and tennis shoes and shirts laying on that floor. I was like, holy cow. Yeah, that's what I started thinking twice about slam dancing. <laughs> that was a young Scott Spritzer. Did they check that your idea? That was a 23-year-old Scott I was going to say, did they check yeah. your idea at Calamity Jane's back in the day? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, no, because you probably looked about 29 with your long hair and everything back in those days. Yeah. I grew a beard when I moved out here. I was 17 I, just so I could get into clubs. I mean, course. you know. Yeah, there it is. All right. There he is. He's getting into clubs, and then he's uh, on the payphone outside at the Stardust afterwards. There you there, go. I love it. I love it. There you go. No ID needed. All right. Uh, well, thanks for today's segment. Uh, Rock and Roll brought to you by Scott Spritzer. There you go. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> All right, man. Let's talk a little football here. And, yes, it is here. College football has arrived. And as I look at this Saturday schedule, Scott, there's 11 games on the docket. And, whoa, my eyes just stopped. And I go, wait a minute. Could this be true? This can't be true. We have a Big Ten game on the docket. It's Nebraska and Northwestern. And I seriously, I had to do a double take. Oh, wait, this has to be Northwestern State, right? Or this has to be Nebraska-Omaha. No, but again, after I stared at it over and over, I'm saying, this is Nebraska and Northwestern. What's going on here? Yeah, and I, I, they were supposed to play over there last year. I don't know if Northwestern was the op- opponent, but Nebraska was a team that was supposed to play over there last year. And, of course, with all the, the uh, COVID situation and everything, that they ended up canceling it until this year. I, I think it's a tough trip for a coach who's on the hot seat before the season gets started. But, you know, it's, I look at this game and I'm thinking, it's an upgraded quarterback, right? I mean, Adrian Martinez, this team lost nine games last year. They go three and nine. All nine single-digit losses, eight of the nine losses by one possession. And most of those eight losses by one possession came because of special teams' blunders, which there seemed to be about two or three a game, and I'm not exaggerating. And either that or Adrian Martinez turning the ball over, making a bad pass, 
you know, fumbling it away in the backfield, knocking the ball off his own hip when he's running with it. Things, goofy things like that. And if you recall the Michigan game last year, it's tied at 29. There's a minute 40 to go. They got the ball at their own 40. He goes for, they go for it on like four. It's like a third and one, not a fourth and one, but a third and one. Gets the first down, decides he's going to wrestle with a couple of the guys, drops the ball, Michigan gets it, kicks a field goal, game over. Well, he's down in Manhattan, Kansas now. So Kansas State right. is going to deal with that. Right. But he had a propensity for turning the ball over at just really key situations. And now they, of course, got the Texas transfer, Casey Thompson, who might not have quite the skates that Martinez did, but he's a more accurate passer. Martinez was not an accurate passer. And so I think, you know, he played a lot of games for Texas. And I think he'll be an upgrade. The offensive line is better. The defense is going to play more of an attack style instead of a react. They've been playing a 34 for a few years. There's been talk of a 43. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, they might stay in the 34, but be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, but anyway, I've heard some people talking that a 43 might be coming. Now, the cool thing about what I just said, we don't know. Neither does Northwestern. Nebraska's like chock full of new coaches, new players. They were the sixth-ranked team in transfer recruits this last offseason out of all the teams in college football. Top six recruiting team with transfers, top 20 when it came to overall recruiting. The thing is, is Northwestern has nothing to watch on game film. This ain't the same style of play that they saw last year. And by the way, the game against Northwestern last year was the one game where they didn't make a bunch of stupid, idiotic uh, uh, mistakes. And what we saw because of that was the talent gap between these two programs. And Nebraska won the game 56-7. to It's not going to be easy like that. Pat Fitzgerald, I'll take him over Scott Frost. There's stability at Northwestern that there's not at Nebraska. I still don't like the Northwestern defense. I think Nebraska wins 34-17. to It's a very loose prediction, and I'll tell you why. Last night I'm doing a show with Rob Zadichka. He used to play D-line for Nebraska in the Osborne years, played in the NFL. Now he's a doctor, but I couldn't call him the good doctor because there's only one good doctor. <laughs> but, you know, so we're doing this last night, the show, and, he, and I asked him, I go, if this team gets the ball and goes three and out, Nebraska, you know, I go, is, did they overcome it quicker because, you know, they're not freaking out because it's a new quarterback and, okay, we went three and out, who cares? But last year, you know, if it was Adrian Martinez again, do we lose faith right away on this quarterback who's made a ton of mistakes? And he goes, maybe, but I'm not sure. He goes, they just better not be down 7 nothing." and have made a mistake to create that 7 nothing because it could go south. So I'll say Nebraska 34-17, to but don't hold me to it. This is the one time I'm telling you, don't hold me to it. If they drop behind or fumble or something like that, it's going to be very interesting to see how the holdovers from last year react. Yeah, that's the great points there. And when I think of Northwestern's defense, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Like you said that that game last year, I remember that game, you know, the blowout that it was. Northwestern is a team that really, it doesn't seem like they create a lot of turnovers. You know, right. they're pretty vanilla uh, defensively, and they just don't create a lot of turnovers. And I'll say this, Scott, and I know you feel the same way, that it was really hard for me to back Adrian Martinez. It seemed like he was there for seven years. And, <laughs> and now I can finally go back and start watching some Nebraska football. Cause I, even, you know, we go way back with those Tom Osborne days. I loved watching them. But even after that, I've always, you know, loved watching Nebraska. And I love traditional programs, you know, that play in the old stadiums and, you know, draw 80,000 plus and their fan base is just so passionate, you know, and they show up matter they, no matter if they win or lose. Or even had some downtrodden years. And I like Scott Frost. I liked him as a quarterback, and I thought, okay, this guy is going to be a pretty good coach. And, and as you know, 
uh, that you know they were about ready to to, to get him out of there. And I right. really believe that without Adrian Martinez, now it's kind of exhale and a breath of fresh air. And I'm hoping that we see you know maybe some. Uh, we'll probably never see vintage Nebraska teams again. Maybe we'll we will, but I'm just hoping that uh, they're going to be fun to watch. You know, again, and Frost does you know get a shot to turn this around. Yeah, I mean, I was a big Scott Frost fan, obviously, when he was in college, and he led him to a national title. A uh, real cocky dude on the field, smart guy on the field, a tough guy. He went on to play, you know, safety in the NFL. Yeah. Now, he's a tough dude, no doubt about it. Uh, he's made great hires. You know, Mark Whipple from Pittsburgh, who turned Pickett into an NFL quarterback. You know, he's now coaching the, the uh, quarterbacks at Nebraska. You've got uh, Rayola, who's played in the NFL, who's now an offensive line coach there, first year there. Uh, Mickey Joseph is an old Osborne quarterback from, I, I'm going to say, the mid-90s, yeah. early 90s, yeah. maybe even late 80s. He goes back a ways. But he was at LSU as a coach. Now he's at Nebraska, disciplinarian, hard-nosed coach, just like Frost. I'd love to see it come together. I mean, they were one possession in eight games from being like 9-3 and three instead of 3-9. and nine. And you're right, it was excruciating unless you bet the other side to watch Nebraska football, knowing that Adrian Martinez was going to do something really stupid. Yeah. And by all indications, everybody back there says Martinez is just a great kid. So I'm not dogging him for what he does off the field. But when you're on the field, you better be able to take care of the football and be the leader. We'll see if you do. You know what? I'm, here's what I'm hoping for. I want Nebraska to go, let's say, at least 8-4. and four. I want Kansas State to go 8-4. and four. I want a Nebraska-Kansas State bowl game. That's what I want this year at the end of the season. <laughs> Scott Spritzer joins us to talk a little college football. It is back. It is here. And that is definitely the, the best game on the docket here. And for a lot of people that don't know, this game is in Ireland. Uh, yep. Explain to me why these two teams are going to Ireland. Oh, besides maybe getting a big paycheck. But uh, <laughs> I'm wondering what the response is from uh, the Irish folks about these two games. I mean, Notre Dame's not playing, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess they're eating it up <laughs> over there. There's this, this stadium... When I was looking it up the other day, it holds 51,000 people. And, you know, I do shows back in Omaha and talk to people back there still, got some relatives back there. And they're saying they expect at least 20,000 Nebraska fans to travel. So wow. I'm guessing you're going to have about 1,800 Northwestern fans who are all related to the players and twenty to 25,000 Nebraska fans, and then the Irish will make up the rest of the, uh, of the, uh, of the stadium. And I'm not talking, as you said, <laughs> Notre Dame Irish. I'm talking about Irish Irish. And so it's really interesting. They're going to be, have kind of a home field advantage. I don't know why it came about. You know, when it was supposed to take place last year, but they couldn't because of COVID regulations, I thought, good, don't play there. They need to play some home games. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I think it's a weird game. And, and it's very, the very next week they got to play at home. You know, Nebraska's back home playing again next Saturday. And I think it's, if I remember right, it's North Dakota. Not North Dakota State because they'd probably lose that game. Yeah, right. But it's North Dakota. They've got like four weeks in a row of games starting with this one. If they lose this game, I'm going to tell you right now, this thing could go sideways in a hurry. Scott, give me a team or maybe even a conference that uh, you're maybe – not that you're looking at this this year, where maybe a lot of other people aren't, that maybe you can zone in on and say, hey, there's going to be some opportunity to make some money here, uh, maybe an unsung team or unsung conference, or maybe it's a major conference and a team that a lot of people aren't thinking about. Well, Washington State is the team that jumps off the page for me, and I already bet them. It was my top over-under wins play uh, this year. I played them over five wins, had to lay about a buck twenty or so. 
but, you know, this Washington State team, I think, is going to be much better. And by much better, I'm talking seven or eight wins. It's not that they're going to go out and be 12-0 and and be top 10 or anything like that. But the over-under is five wins. And one of the things I do when I look at a team that I want to play an over is who they're playing out of the, out of the gate. I want to make sure they're going to start 1-0. I don't want to start from behind. And so they're playing Idaho, which isn't the same Idaho Vandals program that we saw a few years ago when they were D1. It's a big sky school, 4-7 and seven straight up last season. They lost uh, to, by 42 to Oregon State, by 42 to Indiana, by 50 to Eastern Washington. But back to Washington State, I think they get off to that win next week. They play on September 3rd. They brought in an outstanding quarterback transfer. His name is Cameron Ward. 47 touchdown passes last year. 5,000 yards, almost 5,000 yards uh, passing through the air. His head coach from last year, by the way, they come from Incarnate Word, his head coach last year is now on the Cougar staff. The head coach is Jake Dickert for Wazoo. He coached several games last year because of at an interim title, and now he's, of course, the full-time head coach. They went 6-2 and two the last eight games last year. Um, they had road games at they have road games this year at uh, Wisconsin and USC. They're getting that's going to be tough. They'll lose both of those. They've got home games against Oregon and Utah. They'll probably lose both of those. Maybe steal a win. But let's say they're 0 and 4. Well, the rest of their schedule, their eight games: Idaho, Colorado State, Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, the two Arizona schools, and Washington. I've got them winning seven of those eight games. So at the very least, I think Wazoo wins seven, maybe eight, if all things goes right, and they can steal a win at home against one of the first four teams that I mentioned. Yeah, and that's good too. And then now the, again, I can start rooting for Washington State again. I could, you know, just started that last year too when Mike Leach left. So right. you know, yeah, no, 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 and that's why I can't look at Mississippi State anymore. Just hard, hard team to uh, like to the root most for. overrated coach you've ever oh, seen. I mean, absolutely. You know, that's why I say I, that. I just, yeah, he was actually being talked about coming coming to Nebraska. And uh, I don't remember if it was when they hired uh, Mike Riley or when they were looking to hire Scott Frost. But they kept talking about Mike Leach. I'm like, oh, come on, man. This guy, first of all, he's going to be there four years, five years tops. He's going to have one year where every year, seven and five, or, and, and pulls an upset. Great. You're seven and five, you pulled an upset. How about ten and two? You know, how about taking it to that next level and being a real legit top ten team. You go seven and five, you beat up a bunch of pansies in the non-conference schedule to get three-year wins, and you upset somebody along the way, and everybody calls you a great coach. I, you know, he might be a great guy, I don't know, but he's not my coach, that's for sure. Yeah, and another guy that just seems to, to wear on his players, and a team that usually don't pl- they don't play well at the end of the season as right. well, too. That's what we've, I've noticed uh, about Mike Leach teams. Alright, man, let's change the, uh, turn the page a little bit here and look at the NFL preseason. Uh, final preseason games this week. We've got Raiders-Patriots uh, here at Allegiant Stadium. Obviously, it'll be the fourth preseason game for the Raiders, have that extra game, but they've had the uh, joint practice sessions, and by all accounts, everyone's saying Man, the Raiders kicked the you know what out of uh, the Patriots in the joint practices, and I, I'm sure it won't be that nearly intense. Well, it really wasn't intense anyway because you had the the friendly uh, you know mindset between Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. But uh, any thoughts on this game or other NFL preseason games as we close it out, Scott? And are you hearing in any of these games that we actually may have a, a star quarterback or two uh, or a unit that might play more than a first quarter? Yeah, I'm not too sure we're going to see <clears throat> excuse me, anybody play more than a first quarter. Like, for instance, tonight, I would expect that Kansas City, and I'll get back to your question in a second, but I, would, I, would, I wouldn't expect anybody for Kansas City on the offense to play tonight or play much at all because you'll remember last week, Patrick Mahomes in the first-team offense played quite a few reps for KC, and that might have been their 
so-called dress rehearsal. So I would expect that, you know, I, would, I didn't play the game, but I played Green Bay or nothing in that game because I don't think KC's going to have those guys out there. As far as, you know, other teams like the Buffalo Bills, they're not going to play Josh Allen, the Ravens, you know, you're not going to probably see uh, Lamar Jackson. But both of those teams that I just mentioned, they both have great preseason quarterback rotations. You know, Buffalo Bills have won eight straight preseason games. The Baltimore Ravens have won 22 in a row and are 20-2 and two against the spread. So I'm, I'm like, you know, this doesn't have to be that hard as far as your handicapping in preseason play. I'll take a little bit of, I'll take a little bit of the Buffalo Bills plus the, the points. I'll take a little bit of the Ravens minus the points. You know, I'm trying to keep it simple. And what I've been doing with the Ravens, this goes back couple of preseasons down of course not in 2020 when they didn't have a preseason but 2019 i started playing the ravens and i thought you know what until they beat me two times in a row i'm going to play them every week in preseason football i've yet to lose with them as far as the raiders and patriots it's a situation where listen the raiders have come out and attacked and been strong whether it's their starters or the reserves each week thus far eked out a win last week but do I really want to go against Belichick if he's being talked about getting his butt kicked in these friendlies this week? And also, you know, he's a coach who likes to win, too, and they're only one and one. They did win last week, had a little action on them last week. They got the late cover. It's pretty good quarterback rotation for them, and I think New England probably ekes out a win. But again, TC, I'd rather play the Buffalo Bills, who are you know, 8-0, and the Baltimore Ravens, who are 22-0, and take my chances there with small plays rather than look into who else I should play in this week. This used to be the best week for betting preseason football, and now because of the schedule, you know, with this being the final week, it's no longer that. It's probably my least favorite week of preseason football. You know, I totally agree with you, too. And back to the Ravens, I looked at that game last week uh, against the Cardinals on the road, and we saw that line jump up to as many as six, and they covered anyway. And then when yeah. I look at the line this week, okay, they're at home against Washington, and you figure, okay, normally maybe this line would be maybe, we'll say, three and a half half or four well it's only six and you know to me that's only a two-point increase and a lot of people were talking about well yeah the the ravens you know we have inflated lines now with the ravens well you really don't i mean so for for me you know when you're giving up a touchdown or less than a touchdown and an extra point uh there seems to be some good value because we know washington isn't any good to begin with their backups and their backup backups aren't really any good and again yes the ravens want to continue this streak and i'm with you man i mean 22 in a row that's not by accident. That is a message from the head coach. And what I learned last week from watching a good part of that game against Arizona was that, okay, yeah, you're not getting Lamar Jackson. You're not getting a lot of the starters, but you're getting the backups, but they're all motivated because they've had this message the moment they've got into camp that, hey, we're going to play a right way. We're going to play with a, a, a certain attitude, and we're going to play hard. And I couldn't believe how hard that everybody played for 60 minutes in this football game. Yeah. And that's that's my handicap for, for this game against Washington. I'm with you. And let's let's say this. Let's say Lamar Jackson isn't going to play tonight. I mean, that was the indication yesterday. But, you know, I, he hasn't played this preseason. I don't know why you would even play him at all. Right. Let's just take him out of the mix. Let's say he's not absolutely not going to play. And let's say Wentz is going to play. So here's your rotation for the, the, the Washington, uh, Washington Commanders, even if their starter plays. Wentz, Heineke, Howell. Here's the Ravens' rotation without Jackson. Huntley, Hundley, Brown. Huntley, Hundley, or Brown might be better than any quarterback, including Carson Wentz, uh, on the Washington Commanders. Those three backup quarterbacks for Baltimore in week one of preseason combined to go 28 for 35, passing the football. 
First of all, they threw the ball 35 times in the game, and they went 28 for 35. I'll take those three over any quarterback that Washington t- uh, puts out there tonight, not named Sonny Jurgensen. Yeah, anybody else, I'm going against them. I and mean, Huntley, Huntley, and Brown sounds like a uh, law firm as well, too, there in Baltimore. Hell of a law firm, by the way. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff there. And, yeah, it makes sense, too, about the, the Patriots just because – I think they are a deeper team, not only at the quarterback position, the skill position, but just in, in general overall. And I think, yeah, Bill Belichick is he probably wants to win a little bit more. And I just think you know they're they're a more disciplined team. And the Raiders again, it, they've they've had three games already. This is a perfect situation for the Raiders to coast as well. And if you really want to you know get down from eighty down to fifty three, and you got to make twenty seven cuts, uh, this is your time to do it right now. And you should be having nothing but third and fourth stringers on the Raiders side. That's my thought process. Though. Yeah, I agree. And here's the thing, you know, I hear people saying, you know, why does it matter if you win games in preseason? You know, what's the big deal with John Harbaugh? You know, people who kind of follow it casually. And I'm like, look who is one of the guys, one of the head coaches, who for the last 20 years wants to win preseason football games, Bill Belichick. Do you know that this, you know, developing that attitude in preseason, and, you know, he's, he's won a couple of rings. And so he's a guy that wants to win. And I think you're absolutely right. Because this is the Raiders' fourth game, I think they've seen all they need to see out of the regulars, you know, top two units. Now it's time to pare it down. And so you've got to get some guys out there who might be battling for a position on the team, on the roster. And so I would say, you know, I, I haven't played it. I probably won't. But I'm kind of being talked into here just by talking with you and maybe a little bit of action on the Pats. Yeah, it makes sense. I And I like all three of those games that you talked about. Buffalo makes a lot of sense. I think the Pats make a lot of sense. And uh, the Ravens. And I have not made a preseason bet this year. I, I rarely make them at all in the preseason just when there's certain spots but this those three games to me make make a lot of sense and again like you said you have to handicap the backups and the rotations and what these guys are playing for and who has the most most depth and I know that's that's preseason 101 you know handicap and we we get that but let's factor in the teams that not only want to win, but the teams that are really the most structured and the, the, the teams that just want to build a little momentum to close camp with. And I think sure. and, and that's it. Uh, Scott, how much have you got a chance to watch any of the hard knocks with uh, the Lions? You know what? I'm probably going to, in the next 24 hours, watch some episodes because I haven't seen any of it yet. Okay. I, I just, yeah, and it's one of those things where I think about it, mm-hmm. and then I get busy working or watching yeah. games, and I completely forget about it. And then at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm ready to call it a night, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to watch it. Right. So I'll probably do that in the next 24 hours, watch a couple of episodes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's fun, and it's kind of mandatory watching. Right. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, people that watch these series, a lot of times they will – you know, maybe read a little too much into it as well, too. And I know a lot of people are talking about, well, hey, the Lions, man, you know, Dan Campbell, man, he's he really believes yeah. in these guys. He's all fired up. So I think the Lions are going to be really good this year. Well, probably not. But but that's yeah. but don't when you watch these things because it's let's be honest, it's usually for the most part the bottom tier teams because the top tier teams they don't agree to do this they don't want cameras in their facilities and this and that and that's why HBO has really struggled over the last five or six years to be able to talk teams I remember them coming to Green Bay and when Ted Thompson was there was always saying that hey we really like to you know to have you guys part of it and they said absolutely not we, we don't yeah. want this this circus this charade going and they were all, you know because they wanted Lambeau Field they wanted the small town Green Bay of course they wanted Aaron Rodgers and even before Brett Favre and then, but you know, that's kind of the, the norm with a lot of these NFL teams. They they don't want that this type of exposure. 
I, I wouldn't want it. If I'm a head coach, a GM, if I'm a quarterback, I wouldn't want that. And like you, you described it perfectly with one word, circus. Hmm. And, you know, a team like Detroit, it's a team, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the only teams that's never been to a Super Bowl yet. <laughs> and you're talking about a team that struggled so badly and really had nothing to cheer for. I mean, Stafford kind of, you know, but they were always still losing games. And then you know, they've had nothing to cheer for since Barry Sanders for the most part, yeah. you know. And so I get it for, to a certain extent. I, you know, they're over under win total, I believe, is around six and a half. They might get to seven wins. I haven't seen you know the hard knocks yet, but I read all this hype, and I'm thinking, boy, I, there's no way. I mean, God bless them. Maybe they get more wins than I think they will, but I'm not betting the over. I'm not betting the under either, but I'm not going to count on Detroit to have to win seven or eight games for me to win a bet. I'm just not going to do it until they do it. That's kind of how I am in a lot of things. And I just talked about like the Ravens, for instance, 22 straight wins. And as you said, it's not by accident. Why in the heck would I stop playing this team? If I lose tonight, guess what my record is? I'm like 7-1 and one since I jumped on this bandwagon if I lose this game. If I win, I'm 8-0. No. I'm satisfied at 7-1 and one if that's what happens. So I'm kind of one of those guys, until it happens at least once for an organization or a program, I'm not going to count on it happening until it, I see it with my own eyes at least once. And that's the case with Detroit. No way am I believing the hype until I see it on the field for a season. There it is. I got this feeling I'm going to get a late night text from Scott Spritzer tonight because he's watching Hard Knocks. He's he's he's, he's binge watching Car- Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Tonight's the night. All right, man. I appreciate it as always. Uh, go check out Scott's plays at DocSports.com. Fantastic stuff, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, air hockey, KBO. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Constant reviews as well. Well, no, that's right. He only gives that on this show. That's right. There you go. Bora Bora Tiddlywinks. There we go. I don't know. And we will go to the break with this, Scott, as we talked about, you know, down in Mexico with the coasters from Death Proof. My song from April, March. There she is singing a little chick habit as the credits go up right now. Great song. Take care, brother. Appreciate Take you. Take care, man. All right. Love this song. Love it. Love me some death proof. Kurt Russell, fantastic in that. When we come back, MVP, Asia Wilson. Oh, yeah. going on is Kelsey Plum and you're listening to the TC Martin show. It is playoff time and we are getting ready for round number 2 the WNBA semifinals with the Aces and the Seattle Storm and joining me now the one and only Asia Wilson. What's up 2-2? What's up TC? How you doing? I'm good. Well, a well-deserved week off, I guess you might want to say, right? <laughs> How good does that feel for you? Uh, it feels good. It feels good. I mean, it's a week off of just not playing, but we're still working. We're still coming to work every day, just ready to get better because we know the best is yet to come for us. So we just got to continue to do us and stick together. You know, you do get that time off where you're not playing games, like you said, but you're still working out and everything. So what are you doing, like, in your spare time? Give us the Asia week. I'm probably just watching TV with my dogs, uh, <laughs> yelling at them to calm down because they fight every minute of the day. Um, and just chilling. That's pretty much it. Just giving my body a rest. That's how you relax, watching TV with the dogs. That's it. That's a pretty simple life. <laughs> it's been another fantastic season for you. Each year it just seems to get better and better. How do you approach 
your career and what is your mindset as you continue to move on here? Yeah, I mean, when approaching my career, you know, I just want to be as legendary as possible. I want to be able to just say that I'm a winner, I'm a champion, um, and all those things that come with it. And uh, when it comes to just approaching everything that I've been doing, it works in the off-season. Off-season, I bust my behind so I can be here and present for my teammates. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, just into a new system with Becky and just this team. Uh, you really feel like it's just good vibes around, and I love playing in good vibes. You talk about the new system. We've touched upon that before, but now that you've had an entire regular season behind you with Becky, yeah. give me your thoughts. I would definitely give it like a A minus, honestly. I feel like we really was just a good team. We've hit adversity a little bit where we lost a couple games, but we didn't lose sight of who we were. Uh, we got, got through all star break and got off to a good start and ended in a number one seed. So I think. I think it's pretty decent. Of course, we had our hiccups, but what team doesn't have their hiccups uh, throughout the season? But I'm very proud of where we uh, are and how far we've come. You've been here since the beginning, since 2018. Yeah. What stands out for you from 2018 to where we are now? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest would have to be my rookie year, we didn't make playoffs. Uh, it was like a growing franchise. It was a growing fan base. But at the end of the day, like, we've grown so much as a franchise, and especially just bringing fans coming out to the game every single night. They've been with us. So it's been a beautiful sight to see how we've been through ups and downs. But at the same time, we're staying consistent, and we're starting to build our own system and our own franchise. You carry a lot in your shoulders, mm -hmm. and you've handled it better than anyone that I've seen in any sport, and I mean that. How important is it to you to not only represent yourself, but your team, this franchise, the way you do, and also have that responsibility of being the face of the franchise? Oh man, it's a ton of fun. It really is. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's work. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by great people and they make my job easy, uh, just showing up to work and putting the ball in the hoop. But I just have fun while doing it. Uh, I always try to keep my teammates involved, making sure that they know that I'm here for them and just being the anchor of this franchise and of this team uh, comes with a lot, but at the same time, I'm working with great people, so it's, it's smooth sailing over here. And a lot of people may not realize that, I mean, you do get pulled in a lot of different directions yeah. from media, from community fairs and all that kind of stuff. And I rarely or hardly ever see you say no. And be that present role model, that that tangible role model that young kids can be like, oh wow, I met her. Because growing up in South Carolina, we didn't have a WNBA team to where I could see them and play them and like be in the arena with them. So I wanted to make sure as I got older, wherever I went to play, make sure that I could see my face was seen. Not because I want attention, but because it's like the next generation needs a, someone that they can look up to, people that they can look up to. So it's a ton of fun to do that. There she is, Asia Wilson, the MVP. You said earlier that you won a championship. Yeah. You want to be MVP. You want to be Defensive Player of the Year. Is all that part of you that's, that continues to drive you? Yes, for sure. It fuels my fire. I want it all. I'm greedy. Uh, at the end of the day, I am greedy with what I want. And uh, I feel like I wouldn't be this way if I didn't feel like we deserved it. So at the end of the day, uh, it fuels me to the very, very end. No matter what, I'm always looking for something that how can I get better? What can I do? What can I get now? And at the end of the day, uh, I'm surrounded by my great teammates and they help, my, help me out so much. So it's all appreciative to them. What is the motivation for you? Um, it's a mixture between, I know somebody's out there trying to work to get better uh, than me, but also just knowing how much my parents sacrificed, my family sacrificed, and all of us um, putting that on the line. I think that's just what fuels me the most. How well do you feel this team is equipped to win a championship? Oh, very equipped. Well, well equipped. I feel like whatever we have in that locker room is going to get us to a championship. We just got to stay out of each other's way and out of our own way sometimes and just have fun while doing it. So I saw the team wearing the Asia MVP t-shirts during the warm-ups. So where'd that come from? Um, I, Clever Shirts, I think, gave us the shirts, and I think we actually get fined if we 
if we wear them. So I love my teammates so much that they went out of their way to do that for me um, because it really means a lot. Like we don't get that recognition like other teams may may get. So at the end of the day, for them to just show out like that, especially on national television, I love them to death. <laughs> How bad you want this MVP? Oh, pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm greedy. I want it all. If it's in my path, I'm going to try to attack it. But at the end of the day, I can control what I can control. Like, I'm not about to harp on anything that I can't control. But, of course, I want it. I, I would be crazy to say I wouldn't. <laughs> Love the honesty, too. All right, we get ready for Seattle. You beat them three out of four times this year. The last two were really big yeah. that helped you get the number one seed and put us in this position right now. How do you feel you match up with them? I think we pretty uh, match up equally with them. I think they do a lot of things that we may do, and, and sometimes we lack, and we it's vice versa. So it's always going to be a good matchup when we play against them. They have a system that has been instilled with them for a long time, and we're still trying to find our identity. So it's kind of like the clashes of the sisters in a sense. So uh, I'm excited just to compete against them. Actually, I'm very tired of seeing them, but right. here we are again. But, you know, regular season was nice, but now the real work is, is to be done. So, Brianna Stewart, what is your relationship like with her? Oh, man, Stewie, we've been cool since college, honestly. I remember she was my host at UConn, uh, little things like that. Like, Stewie and I, we're just, we're friends. We're good. She's a good person uh, to be around and also to compete against. I think we make each other better every single possession because we don't take anything off of uh, when we go after each other. So, it's like a fun little, I don't want to say rivalry because people dig a little deep into that, but it's just a fun competitive game when it's us, when we compete against each other. Being around her and Sue Bird with your Olympic experience and everything, what have you learned from each one of them? Man, uh, just to have that chemistry that they have is incredible. Uh, over the years, you can see that they really just trust one another, but they're also fun people to hang around. Like We were just kicking it in the players' lounge. Like It's great to be teammates with them every few, every few months that we do get because we're always competing against each other. So I love when it comes to USA basketball, we get to compete and we'll play against people we normally compete against. So we get ready for this playoffs. You guys have got some great play from your teammates here. I just want you to say one or two things that come off the top of your mind when I mention each one. Kia Stokes. Defensive stopper. Like, blocking shots. <laughs> How about her adapting into the starting lineup since D went down and then she gets inserted and how well she's played. I mean, I remember when Bill would coach us, he was just like, Kia Stokes is a professional. Like, it's not a professional athlete. She's a professional. When her name is called, she's ready. She's giving it her all and she's leaving it all on the court. So I was surprised at all when she adapted and adjusted well for us because that's just who she is. Chelsea Gray. Oh, man, the point guy. She handles us, the head of the snake, keeps us in order and getting buckets at the same time. Jackie Young. The X-Factor. Jackie Young is our X-Factor. I think she's honestly our glue that keeps us all together. When she's rocking and rolling and in her element, you just got to feed the beast. KP. The sharpshooter. KP <laughs> is the sharpshooter. And it's on all three levels. It doesn't matter where it is. She's going to uh, give you a bucket. And we need that. Her fire, her tenacity, her fierceness is just all around what we need on the court. And what about the bench mob? <laughs> oh, man, they are energy. They are energy all, every single time. I always tell KB when we have our little pregame speech, bring that energy. Like, no matter where you are, bring that energy because uh, we need it. it. It shows off. It beams on the court for us. All right. You've seen the fans show out 10,000-plus the last couple games, and now we know it's going to be packed again here the rest of this playoffs. Number one seed, what is your message to the fans? Continue to come out and show out. We need you guys. It's a six-man for a reason. We win uh, a lot when they're involved, and just come on out. Bring your family, bring a friend, bring everybody. Uh, we need to pack this place in. I don't want to go on my rent again to call out people who need to come. I might say that for later, but <laughs> it's time. <laughs> the time is now.
Asia, you are a true pro. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Good luck in this playoff run. Thank you so much. Asia Wilson, the MVP. We call her the MVP because it's like a boxing champion. Once you're a champion, you're always a champion. She won the MVP in 2020 when the Aces were down in the bubble, the wobble, as you want to call it, where they went to the finals. Dierka Hamby got injured. They lost to Seattle Storm in the finals, and it's too bad that that season did not have any fans and it was not here in Las Vegas. Asia Wilson deserves the MVP this year. It's between her and Brianna Stewart. And up until maybe a couple weeks ago, and deservedly so, Kelsey Plum was in the talk about MVP. How about that? Two teammates in the conversation for most valuable player. Kelsey Plum will probably get most improved player. Asia Wilson will get Defensive Player of the Year. Will the WNBA want to give Asia Wilson multiple awards? That's the key. Today, the WNBA announced their Rookie of the Year as they started their postseason awards today. Ryan Howard, the rookie for Atlanta, she got that, uh, and deservedly so. She's been fantastic uh, this season. But Asia Wilson deserves to be the MVP of what she's done phenomenal and you know block shots defense averaging 20 points per contest and excelling in this role with Becky Hammond's offense where Asia herself wasn't exactly sure how that was going to go for her but it has been fantastic so and again in that conversation we're talking about her being the face of the franchise how she's beloved in the city, and how she is pulled in so many different ways. She is a true pro, and that comes across when you see her in person, you see her on the court, you see her the way she reacts with fans, her teammates, and then in the interviews that you hear her do with me. Uh, she's one of a kind. She's great for this city, and uh, deservedly so. She deserves a championship, and she deserves an MVP. So hopefully she gets it, but it's going to come down to her and Brianna Stewart uh, when the WNBA uh, makes that announcement next week. All right, so Aces, remember, Sunday, game number one at the house, Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. Get your tickets at access.com, AXS.com. All right, and if you can't get out there, join me on the call. 1 o'clock tip-off, 1230 pregame show down the dial, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Game two will be the following Wednesday. Of course, no better Aces coverage than right here. And then I will be going on the road for games three and four in Seattle as well, too. So it's playoff time. Number one seed, Las Vegas Aces take it on the fourth seed, Seattle Storm. Game one is Sunday. All right. Tomorrow, best of edition, best of the week. We'll continue that uh, this Friday. Next Friday, we have the second edition of the Songfest. And we'll start talking about that more this week. So that'll be next Friday as we head into the holiday weekend on Labor Day. And then, boom, there we're out and about again on location and getting ready for football season. Looking forward to all that. All right, want to thank Scott Spritzer for joining us today, Trevor Maddich as well, Asia Wilson, and, of course, you for joining us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Check out the latest Aces interviews, talking about the playoffs, and, of course, uh, our interview up there with Steve Sachs, talking talk a little Major League Baseball. And uh, tune in tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Again, best interviews 
during the course of this past week. It'll be a lot of fun with that, so make sure you tune in for that. All right, have yourself a good one, and uh, we'll talk again tomorrow and then again Monday and recapping the first game of the WNBA playoffs. T.C. Bart saying so long. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk to you later.